Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast and videocast brought to you by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico de Monterrey. I am your host, uh, Jose Pepe Escamilla, IFE Associate Director. Today, we have the pleasure to have Jonathan Plucker with us. He's Julian C. Stanley, Professor of Talent Development, School of Education at John Hopkins University. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for having me, Pepe. Oh, it's a pleasure to, to have you here. Uh, well, I will start to ask you um, what, what's talent development and what's, what does it cover in terms of uh, the population? Well, it, um, uh, it is a term that is used fairly broadly. Uh, and w when we're talking about talent development, we're, um, it's probably easier to define it by sort of what our goals are. And our goal is to help people um, uh, develop the talents that um, everyone has uh, in order to uh, make their life better, their families better. Uh, uh, their family's life better, uh, contribute to the economy and culture. Um, so it's, it's, a, uh, it's a fairly broad set of different um, interventions, strategies, uh, research studies uh, to, to really try, try to find out how we can help more people um, uh, develop those talents, but then just even realize that they have those talents, which, which, which a lot of people don't realize. It, um, the field in general uh, tends to focus on uh, younger students, although um, uh, the concept of, uh, of, of talent development, broadly speaking, um, uh, has become very popular within business settings, higher education. Um, I think there's just a general realization that we can do better in helping people uh, build on their strengths um, as opposed to just remediate their various weaknesses. We all have both, um, uh, but um, especially in uh, formal education, we, 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 we often tend to focus on, you know, how can we help people deal with their intellectual creative weaknesses when in fact um, it, it can be very, very successful to build on their strengths instead. Okay. Uh, so the, um the, one of the things that I found interesting is uh, developing, uh, I think that you said, uh, developing talents that you don't, you're, sometimes you're not aware uh, that, that you have. Uh, how can you identify those areas or those gaps that uh, are opportunities to grow? Uh, great question. Uh, there's no one strategy. There are lots of different ways to do it. And I, I think it depends on where you are developmentally. If you're um, uh, a younger child, uh, I think it's very important for parents to let you try different things. Um, uh, we, we, we often have the attitude that um, a child who kind of moves from activity to activity Um, isn't isn't really learning how to be committed to something uh, from a uh, talent development perspective. Um, that's not a problem. That's actually a good thing because that means that uh, the child is uh, essentially trying things on for size. See what they're uh, passionate about. I, sometimes you don't find your passions until 
much later in life. Um, uh, but if you're allowing a child to sort of explore different things, um, they might find something that no one in your family tree has ever been passionate about before. And it may turn out they have a real gift for it. Um, uh, that's great. But how do they know if they aren't out there trying trying different things? So just sort of having a um, parenting and uh, teaching mindset of uh, life being a big exploration uh, can really, really help. Um, when you get more into, say, uh, formal schooling, K-12, college, graduate school, um, uh, where a student increasingly has more and more uh, control over what they're trying to study. Um, uh, I think students should still have that mindset. They should be uh, uh, reading different things, uh, different forms of media. Uh, if there's a guest lecture at their school, they should go and listen. Will it be something that absolutely fascinates them? Most of the time, no. Uh, but you never know when that guest speaker is going to talk about, I don't know, um, uh, extraterrestrial uh, geology. And uh, the student sitting in the back goes, wow, I never thought about that. We need, you know, if we're going to travel to Mars, we need geologists who understand Mars. Like, I've never thought of that. That's really interesting to me. Um, uh, so just, you know, always going out and trying to expose students and children um, uh, to all the many, the many different areas in which people can make contributions. Uh, and then um, as we all get older, uh, to instill that in ourselves, to be going out and just exploring to find out what that next passion topic is. Yes. Uh, very interesting because I... Um from what I understand, in, in order to find those uh, areas that you can develop your talent, you have to try new things. And that means that you have to be uh, curious no? and, and not follow the, the uh, established path. No? Uh, yeah. and, and one of the things that we criticize of the traditional educational system is that uh, it, uh, it, it tends to kill the, the, pas the passion or the curiosity or the emotion of discovering things that are different, establishing like a, a, a paths that you have to follow. Uh, everyone has to follow the same path. Mm. Well, I, um, I, I understand also that, that part of your uh, work is around uh, uh, innovation and creativity, and those are uh, skills, desire uh, uh, in, for, for um, people uh, in the workplace also. Many, many people uh, have to develop those skills in particular to uh, uh, deal with the changing world that we are living right now. I take this example of the pandemic that we have been living mm -hmm. for the last two years. Uh, the value of innovation and creativity is, is great. Uh, can you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, your work in this area, uh, how, uh, how it is defined, measured and developed? Sure. And, and this is not unrelated to uh, talent development, too, Pepe. It, it, so I think um, it, uh, I'm reminded of, um, uh, I often work with policymakers, um, and it is not uncommon for them to say, you know, uh, we need to raise the quality of various levels of student education because we have to prepare them for the jobs of tomorrow. You hear people say things like that a lot. Um, 
if history tells us anything, though, it's that we don't know what the jobs of tomorrow are going to be. And if you've got a five-year-old, you have no idea what the jobs are going to be by the time they get to middle school, let alone 20, 30, 50 years later, right? Um, uh, so again, helping students explore uh, uh, help, helps prepare them for that. But then I think one common construct that is going to be important, no matter what someone does moving forward, is definitely personal creativity. Um, uh, to be able to be in control of your own creativity and then to help other people um, uh, your friends, your family members, your co-workers, people working on a team with you, finding ways to help them become creative and innovative. Um, I think that is going to be the, I think it is proving to be the ultimate 21st century skill. So it's definitely something that's very important. Uh, at the same time, there are definitely stereotypes and um, I, we've studied this across lots of different cultures it is just sort of universal that people don't think that we can actually define creativity. Um, uh, scholars have defined creativity for decades, and it's generally um, uh, producing ideas, producing products that are both original, unique, different, but then also useful. Um, so actually coming up with an idea that's different is not necessarily creative coming up with an idea that may help you solve a problem that you're dealing with, that's when we're talking about creativity. So it's not just, let's come up with wild ideas. It's, let's come up with wild ideas and see if some of them help us solve this problem that we're lurking, um, uh, that we're working on. Um, and I'm defining problem um, very, very broadly. So it could be um, a product that you're developing at work. It could be um, an engineering prototype you're designing for your um, advanced uh, manufacturing class in college. Um, it could be a recipe that you're trying to make for a family gathering. It could be um, this vision you have as a, a sculptor that you're trying to actually make. I, those are all sort of problems broadly defined. So it, um, uh, now I, one thing that we emphasize is that determining originality and determining usefulness um, uh, is, can be very sociocultural. So uh, there may be something that a, a 10, um, that a 10 year old does that you and I would both say, wow, that's actually very, very creative. But if you and I did it, everyone would sit back and go, that's not, that's not very creative, right? So a context really matters. When um, we work with educators at every level, one thing that we like to emphasize is that um, uh, a, a, uh, um, is, is that the major focus should really be on helping the student develop their own creativity. So it may be the case that for every other student in that course, whatever the student did is would not be considered creative, but for them, it really is original. It really is a big leap in how they're thinking about the world. Um, so it can be creative for just one student, uh, it, which is um, makes it both objective and a little subjective at the same time, which can be tricky. But um, 
the good news is, is that we know that there are uh, very good strategies to help people, um, again, in, in, uh, in, in terms of talent development, uh, develop their own creativity, which, which I think is really important moving forward. Um, I, I should also say, um, uh, I don't know of a single area of human endeavor where creativity isn't added value. We can't say that about lots of other constructs, but for creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship, which are all very, very uh, related, it um, uh, there it's uh, it is very difficult to think of something that you can do where being creative doesn't give you at least a slight advantage. Maybe not a huge advantage, but at least but at least a slight advantage. In part because we all run into problems all the time. And uh, we may not think of them as problems, but um, human beings are constantly solving problems. And so um, uh, make a long story short, creativity is important. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so. But I, I, was, I was hearing you and, and I, I, I had this feeling intuitively that you're right, that uh, when you judge uh, creativity, uh, you have context matter, uh, age, for instance, and social cultural uh, context also. So it should be hard to measure uh, creativity as a skill. Is yes, it? It, um, I mean, I, yes, but no. And um, it, uh, we have pretty good creativity assessments that um, at, at fairly small, small scales, um, tend to predict future creativity, tend to help evaluate creativity uh, that uh, seem to work pretty well across cultures. Um, the problem we have is that they're almost all, I mean, they all of them are human scored um, because judging that context is something that humans do well, but like a multiple choice test doesn't, right? And so um, a uh, human can read a student's creativity response and say, you know what, that's, that's, that's very different. And from a student in that classes or that you know, university's perspective, um, that's a very unique, useful response. The problem is, um, as we scale assessments out, uh, creativity assessments sort of by definition provide people provide multiple answers to every single question. Well, that means if you move from a hundred people to a thousand people, you're talking about exponentially more just sort of data that, 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 that actually has to be analyzed. That's incredibly difficult for people to do quickly. So um, what we're hopeful of is that uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, is going to help us with this a little bit. And um, uh, several groups, uh, including one that I'm involved with, uh, are, are trying to teach these machines um, to see if they can identify, you know, originality, usefulness within context. We're pretty sure that in the next five years or so, th three to five years, um, uh, we'll be able to have those systems. And then I think you're going to see creative creativity assessment um, become, become much more uh, uh, widely used. So uh, we're not there yet, 
Um, and uh, but I think, like I said, we're about three, three to five years away. So, um, creativity can be measured, but uh, it cannot scale because right now you need humans to score it, and uh, AI uh, is a promise uh, in uh, area to uh, scale uh, uh, these uh, these these measurements. And, and how about the development of uh, creativity? Can it be developed? Yes, and we think it's mostly about attitude now. Um, we've got about 15 years worth of studies that show that sort of the traditional way to um, develop creativity, which was really focusing more on the cognitive aspects, um, how to help people learn to come up with lots of ideas. Uh, the problem is... Uh, those interventions didn't really seem to produce convincing results, which, which didn't make sense at first. But then um, uh, several people started to look at it and go, well, you know, I, um, most people, when they're children, are pretty good at coming up with different ideas. They're pretty good at uh, learning how to pretend, how to use their imagination. Maybe that's not the problem. Maybe what changes is that people's attitude about creativity changes as they get older. And um, around the time that those studies were first starting to pop up, I was asked to teach an undergraduate creativity course. And so um, I surveyed all of the students on the very first day. So these are students who are taking an elective creativity course. And I assumed most of them would say, yeah, I'm pretty creative. It's, you know, it's possible to teach creativity. I got the exact opposite. 75% of them said, um, uh, I am not creative. And, and roughly the same 75% said, uh, and it's impossible to become more creative. And then these are students taking a creativity class in college, and they still didn't believe in their own creativity. Um, every time I've taught that class, Pepe, over, it's probably been about 20 years now. I've taught that course almost every single year. Um, uh, uh, beginning undergraduates, uh, um, ending undergraduates, uh, master's students, doctoral students, um, I generally survey them, and I still get that. It's about two-thirds to 75%. I'm not creative, and um, essentially, you can't help me become creative. Um, uh, everyone's cre um, everyone is creative to some extent, and we know that you can help increase people's creativity. So th that's just flat-out incorrect stereotypes. Um, and so I immediately, after that first survey, redesigned the entire course, and it just became about problem-based learning activities where students had to become more and more creative in, in order to solve problems throughout the entire course um, with me just encouraging them. If they tried a solution and it didn't work, they didn't get a bad grade, they were given feedback, and they tried again, and they tried again, and they tried again like you do when you enter the workforce, right? Like you don't turn in a project and have your boss go, okay, I'm going to give you a C plus today. Uh, if they if they did that, you'd be like, what? <laughs> That's strange. Um, they give you feedback and say, okay, I don't like it. I, I think you need to do more of this. Um, we, we actually don't model that very often 
within education, especially higher education. It's here's your grade, move on. Um, uh, but within that sort of of a uh, setting, uh, you're you're really killing risk taking. Who's going to take a risk if they know that if they try something and, and it doesn't work, they're going to get a bad grade? Um, so what I found very very quickly is that if you let students revise things, fix their solutions, make them better, they get more and more creative, but their attitude changes and they start to believe that they can do creative things and that they can help others do creative things. Um, and we figured it would be a one to two year process to sort of deprogram all, all these stereotypes. Um, we actually found it happens very, very quickly. Uh, in, in, in our experience, it takes about two months of effort working with people, getting them to work on projects, helping them understand that they can make their work better. You can always make something better. Um, uh, and that sort of your first product is not your final draft. Uh, it's your first draft and that you should be getting feedback, fixing it, fixing it. Uh, that seems to uh, radically change student student attitudes. And um, we always survey them at the end of the course. Um, almost all of them have much more pro-creativity attitudes. And then just their conceptualization of what creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship are becomes much more nuanced, much more complex, uh, which tells us that in trying to be creative, most people think a lot about, okay, why am I doing this? Why is this working? Why isn't this working? Um, so I think the stereotype from 20 years ago is um, you're either born creative or you're not. Um, the research tells us that's not true in any way, shape or form. Uh, but now we have good educational models that actually help us explore that. And uh, they tend to work uh, both effectively and efficiently, which I think is important too. Thank you. Uh, very interesting. And, and I think part of this stereotype is uh, uh, what we usually call is uh, creative. No? So you have these um, avatars of creativity. You can say Steve Jobs is someone, was someone very creative, but I am not, no, because I am not Steve Jobs. And I, so one of those things is will be the uh, uh, sacralizing what uh, creativity is. No, it's not uh, those big shots, but also the things that you do every day in your life. Yes, definitely. It, um, I think that's a major problem. Is that uh, as soon as we start consuming media as as we age, we see all these sort of um, they're not stereotypes so much as legends about creative people. Um, uh, and I have a funny story about that that I will share in one minute. But it um, uh, so um, uh, we, um, you know, uh, hear stories about uh, Mozart walking down the street. And then he talks about how all of a sudden and, you know, entire symphony just popped into his head. Um, uh, uh, Steve Jobs gets up one morning and has the idea, uh, you know, for the iPhone, right? Wow, amazing. I could never do that. Well, guess what? They didn't do that either. Those are legends. And sometimes people who have been very creatively successful like to change their legend so that it was one day I woke up. Um, 
Uh, so uh, there are famous stories about Mozart walking down uh, the street, going for a ride on his horse, whatever. Um, and uh, all these amazing things happen. And uh, uh, But... In his own stories, he often talks about the fact that, yes, it popped into my head. And then for the next six months, I worked on it to make it good. Well, that's stuff that happens to you and me, too, right? You come up with a great idea when you're walking your dog or hanging out with your kids or whatever, going for a walk. Um, uh, But it didn't pop into your head perfect. We had to work on it and work on it and make it better and get other, you know, help for it. Um, uh, Steve Jobs examples are great. It, um, he loved to talk about his own legend and how all this stuff just came to him. Yet he was an incredibly hard worker who also surrounded himself with amazing idea people, designers, engineers, um, because he didn't just think of the iPhone, right? It started as the iPod, and then over time, he realized, you know, I think we can do different, different things here. He, he also um, very carefully watched what all of his competitors were doing. And so uh, it, they, these things just become legends. And then if you're going to make a movie about someone, um, you're going to make it sound like, oh, they were the lone wolf who sort of succeeded against the odds um, that's almost never how it actually happens. And so it just so happens that one of my former students works in Hollywood um, and he helps decide which movies get made. Um, and um, he very graciously uh, volunteered to talk to my students once and he was talking to them and uh, he asked if they had questions. And one of my student students asked a great question. She said, you know, Hollywood makes all these biopics of these famous creative people, but like those stories aren't really true. Like it wasn't just them. It was them and like the 100 people that worked on their team. It was uh, them. um, And in some cases like Einstein, um, his spouse helped a lot with his work. Over time, her name started to fall away from that legend um, and, uh, and so my student just said, like, why do you keep making movies that don't tell the real story? And he gave a great answer. He said, uh, are you going to pay $15 to go see a movie about someone who's just a well-adjusted, normal person who works really well with their team and they solved this problem and everything was just great. And she said, no, I would not pay $15 to see that movie. And he goes, okay, that's why we make movies about the legends. And so um, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, but at the same time, we, we need to expose students to the fact that all these legends they've heard are stories. They may be instructive stories. They may be helpful stories. But a story is not necessarily real. And in real life, it is Sometimes it takes you five years to write something or to create something. Um, uh, If you're a painter, there's plenty of famous examples of painters who took 20 years to paint something because they just couldn't get it right. And so they painted it. Um, In many cases, they painted over it because they didn't actually like it. Right. Um, But if you read about a famous painter, they often don't talk about that. They sort of talk about the legend behind them. 
And so I, I, I do think those um, sort of um, like a, a, a big eminent examples of creativity, they can be helpful to us, but they also help, they, they do help create these stereotypes that we have to constantly fight against. And, um, uh, and I've, done, I've done most of this work with college students um, and they, 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 they really get boxed in by all these legends and stereotypes because they think, you know, I can't be like that. But what, what, what we have to help them learn is almost no one is actually like that, including the famous person that you're thinking about. What you're thinking about is the story and not the reality. The reality is that they started and they were just like you probably. So. Yes, it, uh, when I when you were talking, uh, it reminded me of examples of uh, creativity being hard work. You no, know, like the Wright brothers that try a lot of uh, things uh, before finding a, a plane that can sustain itself in the air, or um, or Edison also that try a lot of uh, things, but also uh, had a team of people working with him uh, in the development of the inventions that that he did. He was not alone, so maybe those could be good examples of creativity. So creativity, um, uh, success in creativity most of the time means also hard work from our, what I understand. Yep. And, and I, I was amazed that it only can take uh, about two months to have this change in attitude that is necessary for creativity based on your research. And uh, I, I was wondering if creativity can be deprogrammed uh, also by some things uh, or killed by Uh, some environments or context. Yeah, it, um, that's a great point, Pepe. It, uh, I, I think within education and also many workplaces, uh, we are uh, very effective at uh, killing creativity. Um, we know that there's not a perfect environment for creativity. Um, it, in part because it's it's probably different based on, you know, context, what you're working on, if you're working alone with a small team, with a big team, what type of product you're working on, what type of problem you're trying to solve, etc. Um, but we do know what what makes for a bad environment. So um, uh, um, evaluation that doesn't provide uh, constructive feedback is not good for creativity. Um, uh, uh, constantly reminding people about what the rules are is not good for creativity. Um, uh, vague, vague guidance is not good for creativity. Um, uh, forcing people to work with people that they don't personally like is not great for creativity. Um, At the same time, uh, sometimes having people only work with people that they're very, very friendly with may not be good for creativity because you may not get honest, honest feedback from your from your uh, group and team members. So there are lots of things like that. I remember when I was an elementary school science teacher, uh, there had been studies published saying that uh, student creativity appears to start dropping around fourth grade. Um, we've done uh, similar studies in places like China. It seems to kick in a little bit later, like uh, middle school. Um, and then it slowly starts to rise through high school and college. Uh, but in uh, um, 
some of these studies, it never gets back to where it was when people were younger. Again, probably because of attitude. Um, you know, but I, I, I always thought that that like fourth grade sounded way too precise. Like really fourth grade, why would fourth grade be different than third grade or like uh, fifth grade? Um, and I was a brand new teacher and I was walking through the hallways and like most schools, first graders are together, second graders together, third graders together. Um, up through third grade, um, colorful classrooms. Some of the rooms didn't even have desks. There were just like uh, 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 centers and bean bags, and uh, uh, there was noise and music playing. It was very, very colorful. Um, I got to the fourth grade hallway. It was almost devoid of color. Students were being lectured that they had to learn how, you know, uh, to sit in rows and columns at their desks. Uh, they should not talk unless their hand was raised and they were called on. Uh, the classrooms were just gray. Um, uh, they spent a lot of time talking about the rules. And, you know, um, I, I need to get you ready for middle school. So here are the rules, you know, and um, I'm going to start grading you like you're going to be graded in middle school. First of all, I've also taught in middle school. That's not that's not what middle school's like, right? But it, um, it was in, in the mind of these educators, it was, okay, now it's time to get serious about learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but by miscon- misconceived learning like that, they, they really did take sort of the life out of those classrooms. Um, and what the research tells us is that doesn't have to happen for creativity. It actually can be lively and uh, messy. And um, I think you see that in many modern workplaces, places like the Google campus, uh, uh, various Microsoft think tanks, um, Apple's Cupertino campus, right? Like these are places where there's a lot going on and there's a lot of stimulus and you can find solitude if you need it. But otherwise there are, there's a lot of flexibility. Um, uh, that, that all seems to, if it doesn't help creativity, it helps us not kill creativity as much, which in some cases is probably more important. Thank you, Jonathan, uh, for your time and <clears throat> for sharing your thoughts and talent on, on talent and creativity. Uh, this conversation has been enlightening. I, it will surely be of great value to our audience. Uh, we will look forward to talking with you about this matter soon in the next edition of this Editor and Podcast. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Great. Thank you for having me. It was fun. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast and ife.tech.mx. A special thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey, the Institute for the Future of Education, and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Editrends producers, Esteban Venegas and Christian Gijosa. Stay tuned and play Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.